This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. You've lived a great life and done well for yourself. But what mark will you leave on the world? How will you inspire future generations? Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand have helped thousands of people answer exactly those questions. If you've ever wondered, what will be my legacy? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Stan and Katie Beth. Welcome back, everyone, to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Today, we have a special guest, Hillary Valencourt. Hillary, welcome so much to the show. We're so glad to have you. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So, Hillary, we're just going to start with an introduction. So why don't you tell our listeners today a little bit about who you are, a little bit about what it is that you do. And then from what I can tell, you have a pretty interesting backstory, a very powerful backstory of of what got you into this type of work. And so if you could touch on that a little bit for us today, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to. So I um, have my own law practice, the Valencourt Law Firm. And we got our start doing uh, predominantly estate planning back in March of 2020, and which was a terrible time to start a business. I uh, had no idea what was about to happen in the world, but we kind of got our start for a variety of reasons. I was pregnant with my daughter, who is now two years old, and I'd been working for another firm and had for years been working for offices that just didn't have the right life work balance that I was looking for for my family. and. I also had experienced some situations where I felt like clients weren't treated the way that I would have wanted to treat them. And some of the advice was given really commensurate with the value that the clients were bringing to the firm. And so I wanted to create my own practice and uh, decided that March of 2020 uh, was the right time to take that risk. And it's been a wild ride ever since trying to build a practice through a pandemic and a couple of moves and a couple of babies and all the things that life has thrown our way. But it's been a really great experience at the same time. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your story and why it is that you are so passionate about advocating for individuals with special needs. So all of this really came about somewhat organically. Uh, In March of 2020, when I decided to go out on my own, I really anticipated that I would be able to do court-appointed work to kind of stay afloat and get started that I would do some other kind of work for other attorneys. And then of course, COVID hit and court was closed. So the courses that I was planning on taking to get certified due to court appointed work were all completely canceled. And that was no longer an option. Roughly around the same time, a couple of months before that, my younger brother who has special needs had gotten really sick. And he's great now, but what was happening was he had a heart condition that nobody in our family knew about. And it caused his brain not to get enough oxygen. His heart couldn't pump enough oxygen to his brain. And so he was having seizures and he already had special needs to begin with, but he probably still would have been, had capacity to sign a medical power of attorney. 
He never had one. And I know firsthand that families don't often listen to estate planning attorneys because mine certainly doesn't. So my brother didn't have these documents in place. And when he got sick, it was very clear that he had no capacity whatsoever to make decisions for himself. The seizures that he was having when his brain wasn't getting enough oxygen didn't look like what you see in the movies. And so doctors missed it for weeks at a time. And he was bounced to different departments in the hospital, but it was very clear that he did not have capacity at that point to sign anything. So the hospital alerted the court. And even though my brother has only ever lived with my mom, she had to leave her son at the hospital under these horrible circumstances where he's terrified of what's happening to him and go to court in order to convince strangers that she should be the one to be named as his guardian. And it was extremely traumatic for everybody involved. All of our family who lived in different places felt very helpless with the whole situation. And it all could have been avoided with a simple medical power of attorney. So my brother has really inspired my legal work from the beginning. He's the reason why I went to law school in the first place, because I wanted to advocate for him. I initially thought maybe by helping people with special needs with special education. But once I created my own practice and put these things into motion and right around the time of my brother's illness, it became clear that there could be so much more than special education as well, that we could add a special needs planning on top of that. So I'm really motivated to help other families like mine help protect their loved ones who have special needs. Okay. And in this process, from what I've read, I'm full of questions, but you also <laughs> drafted the Deaf Child's Bill of Rights that ensures high quality education for deaf students. And then that was adopted in Pennsylvania in 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, it's um, actually, I don't know if it was 2019. It was quite a while ago that I participated in that program. So I had the amazing experience when I was in college to serve in the legislature, the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, as a legislative fellow. And as part of that program, we had to craft a piece of legislation. And my brother, again, was my inspiration for that. And so we put together the Deaf Child's Bill of Rights, and it became a regulation through the Department of Education after that. So an incredibly rewarding experience and would love to do more with that. Absolutely. That is wonderful. Stan, what questions do you have for Hillary? Yeah, I have a lot, actually. So Hillary, I'm really excited about your commitment to serving this very underserved segment of special needs. You know, we've done some work ourselves in the practice. And one of the areas of special needs practice that's particularly fascinated me is doing work for older couples who have adult special needs children. You know, if you have a, if you're a a younger parent and you have a, you have a young child who has special needs, you know, parents, even through young childhood and into adulthood, you know, particularly if that child is, you know, really has challenges, it really completely redefines your life, right? I mean, everything you did before in life changes because now the total focus becomes how do I take care of this human that I brought into the world? And most of the parents I know who are in that situation are quite willing to play that role, even if it's dramatically life-changing for them. Yes. But as they get older and they begin to feel mortal when they get into their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. and they have special needs kids that are in their 40s and 50s, there's that onset of a realization that maybe I'm not going to be here forever. Yeah. And who is it? in the world that's going to be willing to step up and fulfill the role that I've been playing in this person's life, their whole life. And so, you know, I think there's some interesting 
challenges there and also some interesting opportunities in working with financial advisors to create the resources, the pool of funds to support the ability to somewhat replicate the kind of care that that child's received from the parents. I'm really curious to hear how you're approaching that and to get maybe have, if you have any stories you'd like to share. That's been an area that's really fascinated me. Yeah, I agree. I think guardianship, of course, we know statistically is one of the reasons, the number one reason why most parents don't make a plan because they simply don't know who to choose as guardians for their children. And it almost paralyzes them. And so they just go years and years without making a plan. And then they kind of get, I don't want to say complacent about it, but they've just continued to live the status quo of, yes, I know I should have a plan, but I'll tackle that later when I can decide who a good guardian should be. And until you're forced to have to make these decisions because something bad happens to your family, you just hope and pray that nothing bad does happen. And I think for parents who have adult children with special needs, that decision becomes even more complicated because as difficult as it is to make that decision for minor children, we know that there are usually somebody, relatives, family members, friends who could take our children and they would share the same values. And there's a set of factors that we think about in how to choose those types of guardians. But when there's an adult child with special needs, it's not just who can handle raising that child with the values that I want to be instilled in that child, but it's also who has the capability of handling those types of special needs, who has the compassion and the empathy to handle a situation like that. And then there is the financial aspect of it as well, which is, do I have enough money to continue to support this child? Would I be a burden to this loved one that I name as a guardian after me if I name them as a guardian and then they have to come up with the money? But with special needs, of course, there's often all these extra expenses, therapies, medications sometimes, and other things that go into that decision. And so it can be extremely paralyzing. Getting a plan in place just at a basic level can also be a huge barrier sometimes because families who have children with special needs, they're spending so much of their budget already on those things like therapies and medication that the cost of a special needs trust or you know quality will package can also be very insurmountable for a lot of families. So it is a big challenge. You know, one of the things about special needs planning is that it's not uniquely uh, targeted at at people who lack resources. They're, you know, it it really runs the entire gamut, right? So Mm -hmm. they're wealthy families that have children that have special needs. And so, you know, what we found is that at least for wealthier families, there are really interesting insurance solutions that fund, for example, a caregiver's trust that makes certain that caregiver doesn't have to incur the financial responsibility, you know, that actually you can create some incentives, buy them a nice house, have a, give, make sure they have a nice car as long as they're serving in that capacity. So yeah. there are some really kind of creative things that you can do. It doesn't, I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't work for everybody. If you don't have the resources, but at least for some meaningful segment of the market, there are families that really can't afford to do all those things, you know? Yes. I try to tell clients that estate planning is really a team sport. My husband is a sports broadcaster. So we use sports analogies very often in my practice. And we talk about the different people that should be on our clients' teams. And that often includes an insurance agent for that reason, because there are so many tools. And the more I talk with agents and financial advisors, the more interesting things I learn that are out there to like tools in the toolbox and plays for the playbook, if you will, that can be really resourceful for families of all kinds. 
And so I love bringing financial advisors and insurance agents into the discussion to make sure that we're not leaving anything on the field that could have been used to make sure that we have a successful plan. Well, I bring this up because many of the people listening to this podcast are financial advisors who are licensed to sell these products, but they don't always think about this audience you know, as an audience that they want to address. And so I'm hoping that this conversation might ignite some interest there. Yes. It would be so valuable to so many families. And as you say, many of them don't have these resources, but for the ones that do, it would be critically important. And we talk a lot about sort of a financial analysis for a lot of our clients. Is it worth creating a special needs trust? Or could you pass on, if you're passing on a couple of million dollars, do you care if your child isn't going to get special needs benefits from the government? Probably not. (laughs) And so there might be other tools that are better used for your family in that situation. If you're going to pass on $20,000, a special needs trust is probably a good idea. So you don't jeopardize those benefits. And so financial advisors would be really instrumental in helping to discern where those tools are really helpful and where they might not be. Yeah, I think there's a place where the lines cross, right? I mean, we did a plan recently for a family that had about a $50 million net worth and a special needs child. And they were talking to us about the special needs trust. And our response was, why do you care about that? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need a special needs trust. You have enough money. You can put enough money in a box and put a competent trustee in charge of it. Your kid can have the best care for the rest of his life. Yes. And we don't have to worry about what the state legislature is going to provide for him, right? Exactly. Absolutely. And I think there are so many different buzzwords, if you will, like trust and able account as one now as well, that a lot of people in the special needs community, they hear these terms. And they wonder, should I have that for my family? It seems like everybody's got an ABLE account, you know, but it's not always the right tool. And that's where having a custom analysis of each situation is really helpful. So, hey, we got just a couple of minutes left here. And and I saw that you do planning for farmers, which doesn't seem like it exactly fits the special needs model. But I'm curious, where did that come from? So it kind of came from the special needs planning in a roundabout way. When people think of special needs, they don't always think about all the different types of accommodations and disabilities that are out there. And many disabilities are things you can't even see. So food allergies, for example, are a segment within the special needs community because there are accommodations available and it is considered a disability for education and other circumstances. About 10 years or so ago now, I was diagnosed with my own food allergies and it completely changed my life not just in what I could eat, but because my food allergies are pretty extensive, it changed, you know, how I interact socially and traveling becomes much more complicated. There's so much within the food allergy life that my whole life was just significantly impacted. And so I've had this really big passion for food and food allergies. And as I've researched more and more, I've become really passionate about advocating for local food. It's so much more comforting to be able to talk with a farmer and know what went into the manufacturing and processing of my food so I can make sure it's safe for myself as well as my children. And so as I have learned more about the food industry, we've learned a lot more about being able to help farmers plan because it's a whole other specialty. There are so many different nuances in helping farmers plan. If they leave a third of their estate to three children, which child gets the farm equipment? And if they don't determine, you know, like if they have to sell the farm equipment, then your farm can't run. And so there's a lot of analysis that has to go into helping farmers figure out the best way to handle their estate and make sure that doesn't become the next 
neighborhood development if they want to keep their farm going right. through the family. Exactly. Uh, you have to figure out how do I leave the farm to the son that wants to farm it and but still be fair to the other two children who don't because exactly. I love them equally. But they don't want to farm, but this son does. How do I? How am I going to be fair? That's a real challenge. Yes. And I think it goes back to what I've always found in this work is most people who create a plan, they do so because they really want to protect their family, but they also want to make things easier for their loved ones. And especially in farm planning, by not having those conversations and fleshing out all of these issues, they could really leave a very complicated mess for their family to deal with after they pass away. So proactive planning for farmers is critical, not just for the farmers, but really in a broader perspective for all of us to make sure that these small family farms can continue to thrive. So we've got access to really quality local food. Yeah, that's true. And you know, I'm sure your experience is similar to ours, which is that most farmers are really attracted to the idea that this farm continues as a family farm not just for a generation or two, but for a really long time. Yeah. And they want us to help them develop a structure that really preserves that, that opportunity. And that is a, that's a special challenge. Yes. And that's also where good financial team members really help significantly to make sure that there's resources in place. And if the farm has any capital or lines of credit or those types of things, do those pass on? And really especially I see in farm succession planning, having those other team members is so critical to the success of the farm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We, we see that with our own, own practice all the time. The, the team mentality really changes everything and, and really helps provide our clients with the tools they may not have even realized existed. So I love the team idea and <laughs> your sports, all of that. We'll give some credit to your sports broadcasting husband yeah. on that. But that's certainly something we've seen within our law firm of just what a great advantage that can be when you bring multiple players to the table with their different areas of expertise and how helpful that can be to the client. My last question for you, Hillary, is through the work that you do with this law firm, what is it that you hope your legacy will be? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I think, I guess I think about it in a roundabout way every day. My kids, I work from home and I've got three young children. My oldest will be five next month. And I've got my two-year-old daughter and a brand new baby. She'll be four months actually this week. And they're in and out of meetings all the time. And I love that my kids get to see me do this. I joke that my youngest daughter's first word is going to be executor because she's sat through so many meetings while she's been asleep or nursing or but she's going to grow up knowing that her mom gets to do this. And I think that's a really amazing thing to be able to pass on to my kids. And my older two kids have been through tons of signings. My daughter, at one point, she took the notary stamp and stamped a whole bunch of stuff on the floor, the hardwood floor, the signing. And my son, when he was about three, he would have his own set of crayons and he would sign documents right along with the clients. And so for us, family is the most important thing, not just personally, but also within our practice. We have got an incredible group of women who are all working moms for military spouses. And I'm just so proud to create this environment where our kids can experience this kind of work-life balance and that we can create something that shows that being a parent is not a liability. It's actually an asset in the workplace. So I guess more than anything, I'm really proud to create that environment and to help empower my team to go out and help other people and, and protect their families. 
an incredible legacy. Is there anything else we didn't cover today, Hillary, that you would like our listeners to know about? No, I think you guys asked great questions. And it's been such a pleasure talking with both of you and just appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. Absolutely. Well, for all of our listeners, this has been the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today was Hillary Valancourt. You can find more information about Hillary and the Valancourt Law Firm in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Your Life, Your Legacy podcast with Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. If you enjoyed the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Stan and Katie Beth, go to PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. You can also find links in the show notes.